Paranerd Podcast, episode 38, in which I interview Lon Milo Duquette. But first... For those of you who have not yet heard episodes 18, 21, 24, 29, or 34, Transformations and Footnotes is the segment in which I read my father's magnum opus verse by verse, since he divided it into chapters and verses. The book is called Transformations, and then afterward I talk about what I just read, and that's the footnotes. Transformations by John Dan Reeb, 1976. Chapter 1, verse 7. I return to the white light very often. I cannot message to you exactly in noises or the print that makes itself significant by agreement predicated upon the replication of noises with agreed-upon significance. Messaging is something you cannot effort to remember how to do, because you already know inside you and outside you how to do it. It takes falling into or jumping through, and it is delightful to do it and not get put into the place the flesh place fear junkies call the madhouse. Unless, of course, you're one of the ones who find delight in being a denizen of the padded cell or a tidbit for the shocking coil. Verse 8. I suppose it would be of interest to you, my other being parts, who find delight in walking to and fro in the flesh place, gathering agreement harmony harvests instead of incarceration gruel, to know how to message and stay free, as we here like to call it, you and I, and not get incarcerated. I shall create spaces in words for you to find for life dancing. And now for the footnotes. Returning to the white light very often, I, my interpretation of that would be deep sleep, and my own beta body is trying to find the proper correspondence for the white light he's referring to. Is it spirit on some pentagram of Olam Yezidoth's sphere of elements, or is it Keter? Is it absolute? Is it just some high-up place in Yetzirah? Seeing as he cannot message it to me exactly in noises or print that makes itself significance by agreement predicated on the replication of noises with agreed upon significance, I... there's no way to know. And maybe these filing systems are not as perfect as we think they are. Perhaps when we arrive at the white light and we reach into our pocket to pull out our 777 correspondences and find out which white light we are in, we will find we have neither hand to reach in nor pocket from which to draw out a book or something. But he says we all already know how to message. I think I get it. That's like when, uh, when, when you look at someone and you know, you just know, you know? You can kind of see it from their point of view, or you think you can for a minute. And I have to wonder, is there actually anyone who finds delight in being a tidbit for the shocking coil or being in a padded cell? Maybe. Maybe on some transcendental level, like, uh, why have I chosen this for myself? Why have I manifested these horrible things? Because you wanted to. You found delight in it. Well, I don't find delight in it. Well, change it. 
Sometimes you create something by fearing it. You start to think, oh, God, what if it's this? And then you manifest that. Sometimes you hope for something, and it doesn't manifest because there's a kernel of doubt there. Can't we put that kernel of doubt in the fear and leave the hope clean? Well, maybe it wouldn't be called hope then. Maybe it would be called will. But I do like the closing line on verse 8. I shall create spaces and words for you to find for life dancing. So it's not the words. It's the spaces between the words. The spaces in the words for life dancing. Our guest tonight is a very prolific author of occult and magical books. He is a teacher. He is a musician. So let's get to that interview, shall we? Greetings, Fratter. Welcome to the Esoterra Nerd Podcast. Thank you. I love the name of your podcast. Oh, thank you very much. That's so clever. (laughs) Yeah, I I used to be part of a group where I felt everybody took themselves way too seriously. So I I started referring to us as esoteric nerds, and then it just got shortened from there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's perfect. So how have you been? I noticed you've been in China a couple times lately. Yeah, uh, I guess, what, three four times and i'm going to go five times this year too so. oh that's great so in, you're in shanghai teaching um the lbrp and tarot and tree of life and and i i, I imagine that's illegal isn't it in china no it's not no uh and it was beijing um okay the last time was right. Beijing. So. i've been to shanghai twice and um um uh, taiwan taipei once and uh all that was last year and um and so i'm starting a new like a new series of um of classes ongoing classes uh uh in beijing and i'm going down to Sichuan um also but i got uh i'm going every season you know um uh, beginning of spring, summer, uh, winter, or fall and winter. And uh, so it's going to be a Chinese year for me. That's excellent. I can't help thinking of how interested so many people are, you know, over here in our culture in I Ching and yoga and Buddhism. And so, you know, it's very curious to see people in China learning the mysteries from over here or, or learning our esoteric mysteries. Is it, is it about equivalent? Well, it's yeah, uh, in a in a sense, it's the same thing, right? Um, ultimately, it's the same thing. And if uh, you know, if you get far enough into either uh, either culture's uh, esotericism, you see, it's it's not two different things. It's the same thing with uh, <clears throat> looked at a little bit differently, right? With nuances, yeah. And so the uh this last time that point was uh, you know cuz my introduction was was through eastern mysticism like back in the 60s i uh, i uh you know i pictured myself being a you know first rate eastern mystic mm-hmm. and um which was ridiculous because i was <laughs> i was uh you know i tell people uh the problem I had to overcome was I kept thinking how cool I would look losing my ego. <laughs> and, um, and in a, and in a sense, that's, that's sort of the, 
uh, demarcation line between the, the Western hardwired mysticism and the Eastern. It's yeah, we're we're shooting for the same thing, only they go in and and we we go out. You know. Yeah. And, and the the big revelation is uh, uh, that there's nothing outside of your head, and it's, <laughs> you right. know, all of our outness is inness, and and all of the inness is is uh outness but you sort got to sort of uh uh gain that non-dual uh illumination before you the light bulb goes off and you say oh right i get it okay i can do it either way right yeah that makes sense i um my dad was actually born in shanghai uh, his dad was bringing petroleum um, back as far back as 1919. So he lived there for many years. So I loved seeing the pictures of you in Shanghai. My my dad raised me telling me that I was his dad reincarnated. So I always visualized myself in Shanghai, but I didn't know what to visualize, you know, and so it's nice to see the pictures. And That's, re- that's very interesting that he would, that he would, uh, I would I won't say say that, but that he would observe that about you, because uh, I'm I'm pretty much uh, comfortable with the fact that we're our own ancestors. Yeah, and um, uh, even if the, the even if the dates, the objective reality dates uh, don't overlap overlap, it it really doesn't matter because you know time is such a thing that we can just screw up by taking a nap yeah so, so uh, and identity is such a fragile and membranous thing so right and and i'm just totally uh i've realized i don't want to even say it's my belief i've just realized that uh we just all one day wake up and figure out we've been each other all along yeah and uh, so I really, really think that it that it passes uh, uh, through families a lot. Uh, in a sense, I uh, my my wife uh, thinks my son is her grandfather, and <laughs> our grandfather or our grandson is is uh, her father. Nice. And uh, and of course, my brother and I took a bunch of. Uh, uh, acid out on Josh in Joshua Tree National Monument. Oh, uh, best place to do it. <laughs> and uh, j- just as the sun came up, we just looked at each other and, and realized that we're we are our own great uncles. Oh, wow! And uh, because and I've wondered where all the the infantile memories I uh, had came from, and. Uh, all of a sudden, it just oh boy, well that that makes sense, and of course, the more that we hear about um, uh, genetic memory, the the more we're tempted to say, well, the, this probably has something to do with genetic memory. Yeah, and and I'm saying, well, I I totally agree. But I think, but I think genetic memory is one of the factors in what people think of as reincarnation, anyway. Right, or even the Akashic record. You got it. Yeah, and uh, this genetic memory is is uh, or what we we call genetic memory uh, at, at the moment is our attempt to to uh, 
focus in on a multi-dimensional, multi-faceted uh, uh, concept of, of consciousness. But I, yeah, I think reincarnation is a sleight of hand yeah. between genetic memory and, and uh, reincarnation. So. Yeah, I've always been fascinated by that since I, I had my maternal grandfather. He didn't buy any of it. He was very rational, scientific. But when he read about Beethoven's funeral, he flashed back to it. And so he was convinced that he had an ancestor in Austria that had that gone to the funeral and it had made such an impact that it stayed in the genetic memory and got passed all the way down. That could very well be. But like I say, we're we're everybody. Uh, ultimately, we're everybody anyway. Right. This yeah. Is, this is one just incredibly complicated single autobiography. <laughs> and a holographic universe in which yeah. each point contains the totality. Right. And uh but I think the you know major branches or major vines of of consciousness, the the, the most immediate and the most obvious, uh uh are 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 at least primarily and at first glance and easiest to spot uh within our own families. Yeah. Definitely. So, which is really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people have been asking me, as if I were some authority, about David Bowie's occult background. I wasn't going to ask you about his occult background or any secret information you might have. I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts about him. And Well, you know, I'm not a big David Bowie uh, ex ex expert at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I've always been an admirer and, and such, but I couldn't even say that I was a uh, engaged fan. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but let's let's put it this way and uh, magic is an art okay mm -hmm. it's 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 a science too and it's uh, and it's a hobby and it's it's a vice but but first and foremost it's an art it's a, it's an art form and and every artist is a magician Okay, if you're an artist, I don't care if you're making mud pies <laughs> or if you're you're uh, uh, collecting string and taking pictures of it as you snort it. Whatever your art is, doing it makes you a magician. So it's not the other way around that, well, many artists are magicians. No, no, all artists are magicians. And uh, uh, we, it, it's easy to see how people in the arts, musicians, uh, uh, you know, painters, dancers, uh, the, their sensitivity to how they express themselves and how they, they view their universe and, and their place in it whether it has anything to do with the Kabbalah or astrology or wands and cups and swords and discs, um, uh, it doesn't matter. Somewhere in their art, they're using wands and cups and swords and discs. Somewhere in their art, uh, 
they're dealing with the exact same metaphors of consciousness that magicians use. And but some of them are more obvious than others to magicians. Right. So it's easy for us to 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 see in the the the, the wonderful work and the artistic taste of an artist like uh, Jimmy Page. Mm-hmm. It's it's just easy for us to say uh, to recognize the same things that that uh, trigger our own artistic responses and that includes the people he admires like uh like alistair crowley or or austin spar the the so so it's kind of easy and so you can spot that in Bowie right away i mean right. the first time i saw him on saturday night live being carried out in that real stiff suit with the shoulder pads <laughs> with the 10 foot shoulder pads you know, I, I had to say, I just bet that guy goes home and reads Crowley. It just <laughs> he's he's got it just written all over his painted face there that this is uh, that he gets. Here's a guy that could get Crowley, right? And uh, but I I don't really think in any way that that uh, besides him making a few comments uh, uh, now and again about. Uh, about Crowley uh, and the fact that every artist in their own way is a, is a Thelemite or is at least attempting to discover their will and do it, which in my opinion is the generic definition of Thelemite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's only natural that, that if someone would bring up uh, you know the literature of magic that uh, somebody like Bowie would be uh, uh, familiar with it, right. and uh, not only that, he probably just hung out with the same same magical artists uh, in every uh, venue and community that uh, that he'd go to, and, and obviously he was uh, uh, appreciated. Uh, Crowley and such. I've I've never been in temple with with David Bowie. If <laughs> well, that would be the big reveal. That's what so, what people are asking me is. So is he? Was he a member of the OTO? Was he a I, member I, of the Golden Dawn? What? Yeah, I I may have blindfolded him once, but I've ne- never, <laughs> but never in a formal setting. <laughs> so. Now you are you're also a musician. Yes. So you're speaking well, with some uh, some personal experience about these things and the connection between music and magic. Oh well, yeah, and it, it didn't always it didn't always seem that way, but because uh, uh, I just got out of the music the business part of music for about twenty five years, mm-hmm. and uh, but it's in a sense it's what got me into into magic, and uh, it was the magic. Music was the magic that that allowed me to escape from Nebraska, hmm. which, uh, uh, given the the population of Nebraska, you can imagine how many people don't. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Nebraska was a wonderful place to uh, get out of. <laughs> uh, no, I don't want to say anything because I. <laughs> 
it was it was like I I uh, I yes. Yeah, so let's don't get in Nebraska. <laughs> Did you see the movie Nebraska? I haven't. Oh my gosh! Well, if you're ever curious about what Nebraska is like, see the movie and okay. you'll go. It's one of the best movies you'll never want to see again. I might have driven through it once with my dad. I'm not sure. So, <laughs> but anyway, it it was really good for me to uh, uh, have that experience. I lived ten years there from from uh, seven to seventeen. Uh, very important years in somebody's life and and uh it was a good place to uh to grow up yeah it was was also uh an object lesson on uh human consciousness in a in a way i wrote um and curated the stories in a in an anthology of horror uh a couple of years ago called the wiser wiser book of horror okay and the wiser book of horror and the occult and uh, i uh i chose the selections and introduced the selections and stuff but i also wrote an introduction of it uh, where and the introduction was more or less called i guess uh, horror takes its time and i got I got interested in the occult and in in uh, or through my uh, enjoying horror stories and classic horror stories uh, that were available to kids, you know, in in uh, the fifties and sixties in Nebraska. And it, uh, uh, in a sense, it touches that same. It reaches way deep into the to the subconscious and and requires obliges the 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 reader to do uh in essence very magical things to uh uh allow themselves to be touched by especially the great classic horror things so uh and nebraska was the perfect perfect environment for that because uh just beating under the the skin of uh, that that wholesome looking uh honest god-fearing facade <laughs> is such monstrous darkness yeah and uh, and of course you can't even recognize that monstrous darkness without first identifying that in yourself yeah <laughs> you know yeah which takes some severe brutal honesty and humility and setting aside and swallowing one's pride and right all of that good stuff like you know sometimes you meet someone you can tell has never done any of those things <laughs> it's like well shit okay <laughs> yes and unfortunately <laughs> they vote yeah so and run companies yeah <laughs> right right <Yeah. laughs> Well, I'm glad somebody does because uh... I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's an interesting. Uh, there's a there's a guy. I, if you if you search for the neuroscientist who discovered he was a psychopath, is a very interesting uh, case where he was studying psychopaths and killers and people in jail and all kinds of stuff. And then uh, one day he he got to know what 
an MRI scan of a psychopath looks like. <laughs> and then one day, you know, just sort of as a as to, to have some normals, just to like, okay, well, let's scan the staff. And then he looked at his own brain. And he was like, oh, no, this is one of the, the psycho killers. This is a pretty bad one, actually. <laughs> and they're like, no, yeah. that's really yours. Yeah, okay. And he was like, wow, am I a psychopath? And everyone he knew was like, yeah, you're a psychopath. <laughs> we, we all knew. And so he determined that when you're treated well, I mean, it's kind of in line with Dexter and all of that, minus the right. killing. But, right. uh, you know, that, that apparently if you're treated very poorly, then kind of this hunter impulse kicks in that doesn't go away. And, right. uh, and that that's where the psychopathic killers come from. But regular psychopaths just become CEOs. And right. you know, they're, they're the ones that were told they were, oh, you're so beautiful. You're such a beautiful boy. Oh, you hurt yourself. Oh, you got a boo-boo. Then they grow up and become CEOs. So, right. Very interesting. Well, it is. Um, Takes and time. Your, your observation that, that uh, uh, if you're handling it uh, correctly, it's just as much of a of an asset as it is uh, a liability. Yeah. And uh, in mysticism, it uh, I think Crowley was the, the one that just pulled it out of the darkness and just forced us to look at it. Uh, but if you, basically, if you, if you can't find uh, the light in the darkness, you'll never find the light, you know, yeah. uh, in, uh, any place else, you know, yeah. you, you've got to, uh, you, you've got to uh, take the whole, the whole pill and, uh, and deal with it. It's not, and that's sort of like the, the big, uh, uh, flaw of dualistic, uh, yeah, Christianity or or uh, anybody that has a god that's so small, it can have an opposite. Right. Yeah. Or light only, no darkness, and darkness yeah. is defined as everything else. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's just a recipe for mental illness. Yeah. Then again, kind of in the evolution of of religions, you can kind of see how a lot of the major ones went through and are going through these processes of, you know, like, for example, if you ask most Jewish people about the lines in Leviticus about, you know, uh, stoning people to death for having the wrong kind of sex, uh, they'll, they'll usually say, oh, well, yeah, that was back when we were Iron Age nomads. We, we needed to come together as a community. And these were the rules. But these days, things are different. And, uh, you know, so hopefully uh, some of these other groups will uh, will catch up in similar fashion. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I totally agree. So, but I don't know. It's it's getting scary out there. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned um, uh, you asked if uh, teaching what I teach in China isn't illegal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I had thought that, I, I mean, the whole thing with Falun Gong was they had to take the elixir out and replace it with common sense in order for it to not be a religion anymore or not be spiritual or magical or something. Right. Uh, and um, the and I won't say because I have nothing to, go, uh, to compare it with except, you know, my own keeping uh, track of of uh, politics and societies and stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, first of all, I've run into no 
no uh, uh, even sensitivities or or uh, I haven't been warned what to talk about and what uh, not to talk about. Nice. The, the thing is that, that magic, in my opinion, is common sense. Right. Magic is and can be totally 100% non-religious in the classic sense. Um uh, spiritual art form, and it is so close to being uh, uh, in magic. I, I do a Monday night magic class that I'm not getting ready for right now. <laughs> uh, uh, but there are people in the class that are atheists. There are people in the class that that you know consider themselves Buddhists and Catholics, and and uh, uh, there's very few evangelicals. <laughs> <laughs> come to, come to class because it's it's a hard experience. Yeah. But um, uh, the the idea that that magic like transcends that, and and I do open up absolutely every one of my presentations with a with a big uh, you know PowerPoint slide about what magic isn't, and I say it's not a religion, it's not even a philosophy. Okay, see, it's it's a way of organizing your your mind and thinking about uh, the 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 universe in your own place in it, and uh, so I've never had uh, any any problems, and I get a lot of a lot of Buddhists, and Buddhism is not persecuted in. Uh, I would imagine that that uh, certain people that might call themselves a Buddhist sect of some kind, if they were, if they were politically uh, uh, motivated, right, uh, might raise some eyebrows. In the same way in, that in the United States, if you if you were uh, you know too radically or viewed as too radically politically motivated with your religion, uh, it would raise eyebrows too. Right, and uh, so the uh, you know I'm a great admirer of of uh, you know Tibetan Buddhism and and uh, and uh, you know there's a political uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, sensitivity in in the way that that uh, China handled Tibet, you know. Yeah. Uh, but there were there was a uh, a lama came to my. Uh, uh, my talk and reg oh, excellent. registered for all all of my all six of my things. We went out to dinner and we had a wonderful time. And he and he was gave me little gifts and fun little little things. But uh, he wasn't going to probably register for everything if if he if I didn't get over that first day. Right. And the first day uh, he uh, he asked the best questions that anyone has ever asked me and it was coming through a translator and everything but what he was what he was uh, uh, getting at what he wanted to know uh, in, in a sense he was trying to see is this magic thing you know does it deal with with a, a non dual uh, and I use that term because the Buddhists use the right. term. Right, it's a great term. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, d does it deal with a non-dual uh, uh, view 
of of consciousness as as the whole uh, as the whole ball of wax. In other words, uh, is this just? Are you doing magic to to control things? Are you doing magic to uh, right? Uh, 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 and you know, I said, well, the only reason to do magic is to <laughs> is to wake up, you know. <laughs> And and once it finally dawned on him that that I said no the universe is operating just fine <laughs> right yeah. now everything's perfect and there's nothing everything's where there there is no the right left light darkness it's it's operating perfectly right now all I want to do all I need to do all any of us can do is just wake up yeah. you know, i we're just waking up and magic is just a spiritual art form or in sanskrit buddha <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just it's just a, a way of waking up yeah and when when that light bulb went off he was my pal for the rest of the 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 thing i hope i see him again in march Oh, I wanted to mention earlier, you were talking about horror uh, authors. I wanted to mention Algernon Blackwood. Have you ever read any of his work? Yeah, you know, I haven't. He, I, I don't know if he, um, I don't know how prolific he, he was, but I have a, uh, the short stories or weird stories of Algernon Blackwood, something like that. Yeah. And uh, he, was a, he was a practicus in the original Golden Dawn. Right. And yeah. so he was kind of like alluding to things that, of course, Crowley just came out and told everyone later. And right. so he's kind of tongue in cheek going, yeah, he was in there making noises. I smelled incense. There were foreign languages being intoned. I don't know. You know, yeah. so it's kind of amusing to, to read from from that point of view of yeah. uh, oh, that'd be fun. the time and place. Yeah, I'm not a believe it or not. I'm not a big reader. Uh, and um uh, uh, I, it's, it's, maybe it's my tragic flaw, but I, <laughs> I uh, actually, I'm not either. I can't read anything that doesn't grab my interest. <laughs> right. No, if I, you know, if I'm passionate about something and it really, uh, has something to do with what I need to know right now, you know, I just eat, eat the thing up. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, just to, um. Uh, just for the the sake of debating ideas and things like that, you know, I'll I'll come up with my own debating things. And right. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just like I'm attention deficit disordered. Okay, yeah, if they would have diagnosed me like that in <laughs> in school. Instead, they just expelled me. And oh man, <laughs> yeah, I was expelled twice in high school. Well, you're doing something right then, I guess. <laughs> I, I guess so. The ACLU got me back in the second time. Thinking outside the box again, are you? I was. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, yeah, it was. Uh, and it's funny that I'm coming up on my 50th class reunion. Mm -hmm. And so we're filling out questionnaires and stuff. And, uh, uh, well, you know, what were my achievements? You know, well, I wasn't in the... <laughs> I wasn't in the, on the football team and I didn't win any trophies or on the wrestling team or anything else, but I was expelled twice, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, my, my buddy Tim got expelled and he ended up on the, he had a whole page like right inside the yearbook. This is the first page. It's just a picture of him with his guitar. Oh, that's, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> it's funny. So. I also, um, I wanted to ask you cause I was over at the Huntington gardens and, uh, with a, with a friend of mine and, uh, he was dying of curiosity. And of course I won't ask you to, to, to reveal any names, but there was a story about some Shakespearean magic that went on there. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering if you might elaborate on that a little bit for people who aren't familiar. Well, the, it's kind of an illustration of, of just what kind of a funky homemade magician I am and, mm -hmm. and how I think about how I think about magic. Um, a friend, a friend of ours, uh, and a member of our our lodge, um, unfortunately, got himself. Uh, well, there there was just a, a misunderstanding, a terrible misunderstanding between uh, uh, him and uh, another person that fancied themselves. Uh, as a magician, but the, the the person was was a pretty famous uh, person in uh, cinema. Mm -hmm. And uh, have you ever met a genius? If you've met a genius, you know. And if you tried to have a relationship of any kind, even a social relationship with a genius, at first it's kind of fun. Because you're going, oh man, I'm with a genius, and uh, this is okay. But the, you you forget they're geniuses uh, because they don't think exactly like we do, and they've got different priorities and different focuses uh, in life, and mm -hmm. their whole their whole life is is really uh, uh, focused on one great cosmic statement that these geniuses need to make in the universe and they don't really give a shit about who gets in the way of them making this statement okay right. and uh, and it's not because they're the egotistical or anything else it may manifest that way but this genius we all human consciousness evolves through sparks of these geniuses, these geniuses uh, advance us all, but they can be absolutely dangerous to know. Hmm. Okay, because you're uh, uh, sometimes they don't care about your feelings or anything else, and they've they've got their own focus. Right. So sometimes knowing a genius is is a very very uh it's a blessing but most most of the time it's a curse just just send them fan mail and <laughs> don't try to take them to dinner and uh, but anyway he had a falling out with with a very very mercurial uh uh character that mm -hmm. uh uh, he was a big admirer of, just absolutely worshipped this person, and uh, but anyway, there was a there was a terrible falling out, which was not in any way, shape, or form uh, uh, a real problem. I mean, he was 
he was accused of something that he didn't do, wouldn't dream of doing, never did, <laughs> would never do, you know? Right. Uh, okay. And the, the, he was sent a beautifully uh, composed curse mm. on on beautiful stationery and very artistic. It was it was gorgeous. Now years later, we of course found out that this guy, you know, had cursed dozens of people mm. in the, in the same elegant way. And people had it framed in their houses and stuff. And it, it's like you're you're just nobody unless you've been cursed by this person. And uh, uh, but anyway, this this person had a had a certain uh, uh, connection and an identity, a magical identity, because this person was uh, is a marvelous magician too. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, had a identity with uh, the Sh Shakespeare play, uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm -hmm. And uh, and throughout this long and illustrious career, uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream was, was sort of uh, projected upon the, the highlights of this person's life and career. Uh, I, I guess if I was to think of my own, I guess it'd be Elmer Gantry <laughs> instead, of, instead of something as cool as a Midsummer <laughs> Dream. Elmer Gantry or Dumb and Dumber, but <laughs> but uh, but anyway. So uh, he ends up getting cursed, and uh, he brings this beautiful document. Uh, to my house, I said, "Well, why is he doing this?" And he says, "Well, I think I, he thinks I did such and such, and of course he didn't do it, but it's total mistake." And the guy totally went completely batshit crazy, uh, and uh, and cursed our friend. And I said, "Let's look. He's a genius. All geniuses, you know, have moments of being batshit crazy. Uh, let it go." And, uh, but he didn't because uh, my fr a friend also had a magical, uh, his life was a magical metaphor too. And he didn't like this thing hanging over him. Right. And I said, look, let's, let's try to, let's do something magical ourselves to lift this curse in the same way as, uh, when you evoke a, uh, Goetic spirit to go do some chore for you. Uh, you just don't you just don't forget about the spirit after you uh, uh, do the the evocation because right. in, in a sense you've mutated your own psyche in order to get this this demon to work for you so you've been mutated okay <laughs> you've worked on yourself and in order for you to to make it stop or redirect it, you're going to have to do another magical ceremony to reprogram yourself, to to remutate or unmutate yourself. Does that make sense? Makes sense. So, so let's let's get you unmutated here, you know. <laughs> and so uh, we knew of the the passion this individual had for the, for this piece of Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's really funny because if you're familiar with the plot of A Midsummer Night's Dream, it all revolves around a misunderstanding. Hmm. Somebody didn't see something correctly. Right. And, and it and it sets the stage for all sorts of, of very entertaining hijinks. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. But it all starts when somebody's eyes are bewitched hmm. to see something that isn't true. And at the Huntington Gardens in San Marino, beautiful place, and we've gone to it. Oh, yeah, I'm a member. I go there as often as I can. Oh, oh boy. Yes, let's keep in touch. Yeah, I can bring a guest for free. So, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, we, we, we go a couple times a year. Sometime when, and when we were raising our son, we went uh, very often. He became the, our tour guide. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, there's a Shakespeare, Shakespeare garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Shakespeare garden is, uh, uh, it's not really super flashy or anything else. It's very genteel uh, area. But every plant, herb or flower that is mentioned in Shakespeare is there. And they've got it planted with a nice little uh, uh, display and everything else. And uh, there's little signs up that say that say what uh, what play it's in and everything else. Mm-hmm. So the curse in the story all has something to do with a juice from a plant that uh, that Oberon, the the king of the fairies has his little henchman, Puck, squeeze in the eyes of a sleeping woman, Hmm. and man, now that I think of it, uh, that when she wakes up, she missees something. Okay, she falls in love with the first thing. Okay, but anyway, it's it's called Love and Idleness is the name of the herb. And that... That bewitches the eyes. Then later in the play, there's another herb uh, that is squeezed into the eyes to make her see clearly again. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that herb is also there. And uh, the so antidote. I said, let's, the antidote is there. I said, so let's take this curse down to the Huntington Gardens and we'll have a, we'll make a day of it, you know, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll secretly, quietly steal just a little handful of both of those things and we'll take the curse over to the, the turtle pond area there, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, and uh, we'll sit there and we'll, first of all, anoint the, the curse with uh, with uh, the mis- mistaken herb, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll take it off with the, with the same curse. And Shakespeare, of course, is he has these curses or these these spells in beautiful poetry. The poetry is already there, hmm. so so we compose the poem that bewitches, and that we and we copied the poem. That unbewitches the uh, the thing, and we took it to the to the Huntington Gardens and and did that. Now, 
it, it doesn't sound very sexy. You know? <laughs> but in a way, it really, really was. And we really felt right. like we were doing something. And, and uh, uh, the emotional and magical connection between one person, uh, uh, you know, who threw the curse and the person that, that uh, uh, and we did it all. It wasn't like we were trying to throw a curse back or anything right. else. The whole thing was a mistake. Let's just treat it as a mistake, you know, with all of the respect and love uh, uh, that uh, one would do when they forgive a mistake. Only this time, let's just extend the magic a little bit. So did that explain it? <laughs> was there ever any uh, feedback from Kubrick about it? I mean... <laughs> or whoever oh, it was. <laughs> you did. You didn't. Say, I certainly didn't say that. No, no. Uh, uh, except everything. Uh, 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 you know, quieted down. For that person's uh, life. Yeah, no more was made of it. And, and uh, uh, you know, later on, as we, we discovered, other people took great... Uh, uh, we're honored by being so cursed uh, <laughs> that even that even took the edge off of yeah it. for sure yeah just to know he's not the only one who got that yeah yeah I love I, I like the idea of uh, dealing with something in its own paradigm and you know even going so far as to enter into Shakespearean as its own egregore within which to do magic I love that right because I uh, I really think especially for those in the English speaking world that that um, Shakespeare is more than a playwright. He's uh, uh, a very, very important uh, god, if you will, of, uh, in our consciousness. Yeah. And uh, so it's uh, it's quite powerful. And uh, what else did I... Uh... Oh, yeah, we use... Uh, uh, there's a, we've got a Shakespeare oracle. Mm -hmm. that uh, we did at class. You know, it's my working field theory that that uh, if you really know what your question is uh, and you can bring yourself to, to ask that, that real question, what you really want to know, then the answer is screaming at you from every observable phenomena. That makes sense. And... Uh, so, but it's it's kind of easier to see it in something that's already, in a sense, approaching perfection. Like, uh, like if you really, really have a question, you know what the question is. You could look at a rose, yeah, and go, and go oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, people wrestle over the wrong question, like saying why. Yeah. Well, why am I here? And it's like the universe isn't going to answer that one because the word doesn't make sense. No, really. Like, it makes some sense in certain contexts, but not when you're talking about this, yeah. <laughs> you know. But if you're saying, you know, um, what would be like if you can't find your purpose in life? I know that, you know, there's a lot of things that say, well, just focus on your purpose. And it's like, well, right. what if you haven't found that yet? So, you know, trying to discover that or know where to look. Should I look at my strengths? Should I look to my weaknesses? Should I look to, you know, my role models, my idols to find that, that sense of purpose to find or the quote unquote, why am I here? Yeah. Well, yeah. 
once you've brought yourself to knowing that that's what you want to know, then you, you ask all, the question. You, yeah. you already know the answer. You know, you already know it. You could look at a ketchup bottle and go, oh, God, I get it. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, Tea leaves. Yeah, right. Bones. Right. And so uh, uh, we did a divina divination uh, class series at, at class, and, and uh, I don't know, it was about six months we did it. And uh, out of that came this book, Book of Ordinary Oracles, I call it. Nice. And um, but anyway, so uh, one day uh, before, or no, is the day of the class. Uh, I thought, well, you know, if I if I really believe that that uh, the answer is screaming at you from everywhere, and uh, but it's easier to see the answer in something that's perfect, you know, like mathematics, or that's why Kabbalah is such a, uh, um, yeah, but it bores me to, <laughs> or at least math bores me to death, you know? Right. Um, Kabbalah actually made math interesting again for me at one that's point. That's the only way math yeah. is interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I thought, well, what do I think is perfect? And that morning I thought, I think Mark Twain is perfect. Mm. Okay, he he is a god to me, <laughs> an absolute god. And uh, it's uh, Oscar Wilde is another one. I you know, but uh, uh, so I went out in the backyard with my copy of uh, Tom Sawyer, and I just picked, opened it random, and put my finger down, and jotted down 80 little phrases or sentences or even words. And I took those back in the house, put them on a, on a, on my computer and made little tiny 88, I think little cards uh, that I could print out and cut out and have have a little stack of cards and i thought well oh cool and then i'll i'll shuffle those up and i'll lay them all out face down uh actually i i would i laid 36 of them and had a had a stack uh, the remainders that i i set aside to use if i didn't get my answer out of one of them you know Mm -hmm. And I got 30, laid 36 out and then just took dice, two dice, one red and one green, one for the column and one for the row. And then I'd, I would ask the question, well, it, it, that took a lot of time and class was almost at the door, you know, to, for Monday night class. Mm -hmm. And I had it all finished. I was in the bedroom, laid the little grid of 36 by 36 uh uh, Mark Twain cards out and, and had my dice. And I said, okay, I'm going to talk to Mark Twain. This is going to be a discussion with Mark Twain. Nice. And, uh, I said, okay, Mark Twain, is this a real Oracle? And then I rattled the dice and threw the dice and I found the column and I found the row and I picked up the card and it said, that sounds like a good way, but that ain't the way Bob Tanner done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And I said, yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! So that was, that was really, and so I talked about the Mark Twain. Uh, somebody, uh, a wonderful person, made me a beautiful deck of Mark Twain. Uh, of these cards and has Mark Twain and a riverboat and stuff on them. Oh, that's great. Uh, but anyway, the uh, showed that we had so much fun with it uh, at class. The next week, one of the class members came back with her own Shakespeare hmm. uh, oracle. And she used nothing but quotes from the Tempest. Hmm. But she had a ritual that opened it up uh what seest thou in the dark uh, you know or in the uh dark blindly or something like that some oracle maybe. and it's all quotes from prospero's things and it's just uh, oh hang on a second maybe I, I hear the books falling over on the floor oh, that's, that's that's what life's like here <laughs> Let's see if Shakespeare, hang on. Her, her ritual was what was absolutely. She starts off with a banishing, okay? And mm -hmm. she's she's a dancer, so she's spinning around and, and doing all of the motions. Mm -hmm. And she starts off by saying, and this is all from the Tempest, no tongue, all eyes. Wow. Be silent. All hail, great master, grave sir, hail. That's Shakespeare himself. See? Wow. I come to answer thy best pleasure, be it to fly, to swim, to dive into the fire, to ride the curled cloud, to tread the ooze of the salt deep, to ride on the sharp wind of the north, to do me business in the veins of the earth. Come forth, I say, come. What seest thou else in the dark, backward and abysm of time? Some oracle must rectify our knowledge. <laughs> Excellent. And when she did that, you know, the, we did, the hair went up on all of our heads. Wow. It was just so perfect. And then, then we would pick cards and stuff. And then there's a banishing. Uh, when it's all over, she banishes by going, uh, here cease more questions. Our revels are now ended. These are actors, as I foretold you, were all spirits and are melted into air, into thin air. We are such stuff as dreams are made of, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. Then to the elements be free. No tongue, all eyes, be silent. Wow, very nice. Isn't that cool? It's a new system, just born... And so in the, in the margin, in the uh, outer, outer uh, right and left-hand side of, of each page of this book, I've put like small little fortune cookie oracles in themselves. So you can just use the book, uh, ask a question, and just open a page at random and read the, uh, read the little 
oracle in the site. Like, nah, I just opened it up right now, and it just says, you've got to be joking. <laughs> Bibliomancy. Bibliomancy. <laughs> this last time I went to China, okay, I was... Mm-hmm. I was uh, I was excited, but this was a, this was a big like a full week of classes, and and uh, it was kind of a big thing. And they put me up in a wonderful five star hotel, and it was just uh, they made me as comfortable as I could as I was having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and uh, I immediately unpacked because I just. And I jumped on the bed and I got out this book. I said, well, what's what's this going to be about? You know, mm-hmm. what are my words of wisdom for, for this trip? And I opened it at random and the little thumbnail oracle said, only Nixon can go to China. <laughs> <laughs> what? And I forgot I even put that one in there. You know, that was from a Star Trek uh, movie <laughs> where Spock tells Captain Kirk only Nixon can go to China. Uh, and I, how, how did you interpret the advice? Oh, I, I don't know. I was just so blown away that the, the word China was in it. I just, oh, boy. Uh, well, I guess, uh, it, no, I interpreted it as, yeah, I feel unworthy to do this. Yeah, I feel like like I'm the last person on the earth that should be bringing Western mysticism to <laughs> uh, to, to, to China. And then it's, it's just telling me, well, who else? Yeah, it's all about who's available. Yeah. Availability trumps talent. The there you go. That's just, that's just about how I took it, too. So. <laughs> wow. That's so, cool. I'm I'm interested to you know in what what these seeds, uh, you know, will germinate into later on. Like if there's going to be study groups with you know Western esoteric study groups over there. I know I have a, a former student in Hong Kong that runs a tea house, and I'm I'm hoping that that he and I can both learn to play Enochian chess, so I can go to Hong Kong and play Enochian chess with the oh, master of the fun. tea house. Yeah, yeah, that would be fun. Um, uh, well, we'll we'll just have to see. You know, uh, tarot is big. Uh, the first three times I went to China was uh, most uh, I was brought there by tarot uh, tarot groups, mm-hmm. and uh, so divination is is culturally a huge huge thing in uh, uh, in China, but it's kind of you know the superstitious. Uh, aspect of divination uh fortune good luck bad luck it's it's just reeks of duality you know and uh and it's sort of weird because i'm going in yes i i I do tarot i and uh but my whole thing is almost just just the opposite of what you 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 want from me you know yeah and uh so uh but i found they they were just so so incredibly open to uh to what i was saying and stuff so the first few times i started to get into uh uh the the magic aspect uh of it more and more and more and then i got the invitation from this uh uh, uh organizer who uh organizes a lot of Buddhist activity 
And uh, he said, no, come here and uh, let's just focus on magic and Kabbalah. I said, okay. Nice. You know, what else? What else am I doing in my 67th year? Well, that'll be helpful because I've, I've spent so long trying to line up the tree of life with, you know, Eastern systems. That'll be nice to have people over there doing the same thing from the other angle. Yeah. Like there's a guy in um, – now I was raised – my dad was in, into Tibetan Buddhism. So we did sort of a Vajrayana thing every morning with bells and chants. Yeah. But after he passed away, he was also interested in tarot. And so I ended up pursuing Golden Dawn magic uh, for a number of years. And so only just recently am I getting back into delving into the Eastern. And so I, uh, I ended up with a pen pal in Nepal who has spent his whole life – doing, you know, in Vajrayana Buddhism, and his interest is in Golden Dawn magic. And so <laughs> it's yeah. been really interesting got, talking back and forth. And, you know, he's like, well, I don't see what you, why you're so interested in what, you know, what, what, what we've got here. I'm more interested in what you've got. And, was, yeah. you know, it's just, it's all, like you said about Nebraska, like I grew up in L.A., the idea of moving to, to a cabin in the woods somewhere is pretty appealing to me, you know, having grown up in a concrete jungle. But, I mean, gr- yeah, being in Nebraska might have the opposite effect where you want to go see New York, you know, go see. Right, right. I, uh, I, I think that it, it all points to kind of a toward a global world, people in the East learning about the West, people in the West learning about the East. We're all kind of being drawn toward the things that we lack, the things that we uh, will make us more whole and more complete. So it sounds all good to me. It, it does. It sounds like a win-win uh, situation. I was very uh, – I was pleased with everything except the uh, air quality. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, the two times I was in Shanghai, the air was very, very clear. But Beijing this last time, I, I went right in the middle of the, uh, the, the big emergency alert things. And, uh, but I'm... Worst I'm, in the world, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And... Uh, but anyway, the, I, I keep asking, you know, am, am I saying anything that's that because I don't want to step on any uh, uh, social or political toes. Mm-hmm. And everybody, everybody I talk to said, no, they don't give a damn about really about what you think about truly what's uh, what's important. They just they just don't want anything that would. Uh, uh, smack of being uh, a brainwashing cult, right? And which is, I'm sorry, that's how they feel in Germany. That's how they feel in Poland. That's how they feel in in uh, uh, Macedonia. That's how they feel in England. You know, and it's and it's no different. The only difference is they are super, super hungry for this, and they've got they've got a rich background and culture in their own thing that if you can just find a, a, a common denominator here and there the light bulb goes off in their heads without too much effort on your part whatsoever yeah and uh, uh be, because they're, they're they're smart they're they're subtle and they've they've got what appears to me to be a very healthy and wholesome uh uh spiritual hardwiring uh, already in place, and uh, uh, the the fact that we're we're drawing uh, 
uh, closer and closer together economically and and uh, and socially, and they're liking the same music. The Chinese movies are just incredible. I watch them. Yeah. And, and uh, you just can't help but think, gee, just people are just people. And uh, uh, so I'm I'm very very encouraged. As a matter of fact, I'm more encouraged about the direction they're changing than I'm encouraged about the direction I see us changing. Right, yeah. <laughs> it is what it is, yeah. and, uh, and I just uh, wish we could all do a little better with what we've, what we've been stuck with. And, uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast today. Well, you're welcome. And I look forward to, you know, watching your exploits on Facebook and, you know, your next trip to China and and your next, uh, you know, song and everything. And if you don't mind, I was going to close with the uh, the one about the angel and the, the drink. Sure, do it. Okay, cool. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you very much. Absolutely. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the Esoterra Nerd Podcast Lawn. Before I close, I wanted to mention, uh, as you know, if you are in a major city somewhere in China and you're interested in Western mysteries, then you know to look up Lon Milo Duquette and his schedule. However, if you're over here in California and you're interested in Eastern mysteries, uh, for example, yoga, uh, Vajrayana meditation, and that sort of thing, check out bhavasfest.com. That's B-H-A-V-A-S-F-E-S-T dot com. That's going to be up by Kern River. I'm going to be one of the presenters there, and I'm also going to be covering it on my, what I like to call the other Esoteric Nerd podcast, the To Be A Yogi podcast. Uh, go ahead and check that out. If you use the promo code 2BYOGI, that's number 2 and the letters B-Y-O-G-I, They'll know that I sent you, and you'll get $50 off the admission price. As always, special thanks to the monks on Mount Koyasan for the music you're hearing in the background right now, as well as the introduction. Thank you to Camille and Kennerly for the Game of Thrones harp transitions in and out of the interview. Thank you to Tangerine Dream for the album Ricochet, which I play behind the Transformations and Footnotes segment. And most importantly, thank you to you, the Esoterra nerd listening to this podcast right now. As promised, we'll close with Lon Milo Duquette's song, Guardian Angel in Disguise. Without a prayer, I set my mind to bring to an end this travesty of life. One bullet would serve, but I lost my nerve to fire the round and mercifully end this tragedy of life. So I pulled on my boots 
and curse the snow Each and every step down to the inn There I would drink and make my courage grow Till a stranger sitting near me butted in Drink, my friend, and I will stand and sing Sing you the sweetest song you ever heard Three fingers of gin, and when it's in I'll stand and sing Sing you the sweetest song you ever heard Then we will raise our glasses high To toast, toast to all the angels in our lives To our dear mothers Brothers, sweethearts, wives, and to the guardian angel in disguise. I could tell that the fool was a luckless soul who craved the juice. I bought him a drink and prayed he'd go away. God bless you, he said, and cocked his head and down the booze, and closed his gray eyes and seemed to drift away. Then as my mind returned to thoughts of doom The stranger sat up straight just like a king Then he pulled off his cap and hushed the room And rising to his feet began to sing Drink to Principality Seraphim of flowers in the springtime. Drink to archangels and dominions, soaring with their downy pinions through the stars. Cherubic choir that hovers over sleeping babies' covers through night's dangers. Drink to the angel in disguise who has watched you through the eyes of countless. Strangers. When he was done, the room was stunned. His eyes shone clear. I swear there was not a dry eye in the place. God bless you, he said, and fell down dead. Right then. Cap in his hand, a smile upon his face. Then all of us raised our glasses high to toast. Toast to all the angels in our lives, to our dear mothers, brothers, sweethearts, wives. 
and two.